Welcome to Wise Brussels Voices and the second episode of our series, What's Next for NATO in the Digital Age? This series is part of a project led by Wise Brussels with three other chapters, Wise DC, Wise London and Wise France, with the support of the US mission to NATO. Due to the COVID-19 pandemic, a lot of these conversations were had online, resulting in sometimes unequal sound quality. All the papers discussed in this series can be found online at wise-brussels.org. In episode one, you heard about the WISE consortium and the candidates at the outset of the project. In this episode, you will hear from Gabriel Tarini from RAND and Nadkar Kalovich-Gora from the German Marshall Fund about the paper on NATO approach toward China. I begin by asking what they thought about the collaborative writing process. There was more than just one key takeaway, I would say. Uh, it was a very good process, very intense for us. I think we both tried to be quite sensitive to each other's views or concerns. Natka? And also when we were setting the deadlines that would work for both of us well in order not to make the process too stressful in some ways. And I think we also tried to leverage each other's expertise and trust each other's expertise and also the access to information that we could uh, have in order to make the article as nuanced as possible. So I think we both took that into consideration and made the effort to, to make it as balanced as we could. First of all, I would just say it was great to be able to have an American and a European writing a paper together so that we were able to get both of those perspectives. Gabriel. When talking about the Alliance, And our approach was first to speak with those in our professional circle who are China experts to generate and exchange ideas because neither of us, you know, were China experts, but that is what we decided to focus on after that being such a big point of discussion at the at the conference. And so it was really an iterative process. We had a lot of drafts along the way. We're really open to each other's ideas. Um, in you know, changing the scope or changing our ideas. And our reviewers were immensely helpful. We had a couple of colleagues um, review our paper, and I think it, you know, it was a lot of work to integrate their comments and feedback, but I think it turned out um, really well because of it. It did, actually. This transatlantic duet led to interesting thinking about NATO and China. Both agree that the rise of China poses a strategic challenge for the alliance, but they have different perspectives on the range of challenge faced by NATO. Well, I think we were approaching the paper from the perspective of what should NATO do now with the rising influence, uh, economic and political influence of China, how to address it. And we looked quite a bit into the economic part or, or political economic part of increasing investments of China into different strategic sectors. So the challenges we have identified were rather strategic and not imminent challenges, uh, which makes it a little bit, I would say, as China defines its own approach, it's usually longer term, strategic, uh, well-planned in advance efforts and um, an approach to, towards its partners or uh, competitors. So, for example, one of the key challenges that we have identified was collaboration with a group of countries within the alliance 
let's say, through the different initiatives such as the Belt and Road Initiative or the 17 plus one initiative, which ultimately could lead towards uh, divisions within the alliance because of different political and economic uh, priorities and interests and also strengthened relationship with China while the others would uh, not be part of these initiatives. And uh, maybe the second challenge is that there is also what we could see currently from the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis that China has become more assertive, not only in the geopolitical arena, but also in the information space, spreading and amplifying disinformation and false narratives that were aimed to divide and undermine democracies. So I would also see that as a challenge that NATO has recognized and also started to address a little bit more and try to assess what uh, should be done uh, differently or better in order to be better prepared and uh, resilient towards such challenges. NATO is now understanding that China is getting closer geographically, but also economically is really developing very fast. One of the things that we looked at in this paper, in addition to the economic investments that China is making in Europe and investments in strategic sectors, we also looked at how NATO as a military alliance should respond to China, because not only is China coming closer to Europe, both in terms of economic investment and economic and critical infrastructure, but for example, China has also increased its naval activities in the Mediterranean Sea and the Baltic Sea and the High North, often in collaboration with Russia. So we thought that it would be both difficult and inadvisable for NATO to reposture towards a hypothetical contingency with China. You know, NATO members already have varied preferences over which region of the alliance, which flank should receive priority focus. And with the exception of the United States and a bit France and Britain, NATO doesn't really have the expeditionary capabilities to be able to project power into the Indo-Pacific. So figuring out how NATO um, is going to define military competition with China and posture itself to deal with this dynamic and changing threat as an area that we called out in the paper and, you know, provided some recommendations on uh, towards the end. Gabby mentioned the very critical part of uh, the military as well. Well, mostly we defined the areas from the political, military and technological perspectives in our paper. That's how we address the challenges through the lenses of these three areas of influence. Another paper from this series, written by Isabel Rocha and Clotha Kay, focus on 5G. Given China's position on this matter and the presence of companies such as Huawei on the Western market, ask Gabriel about possible impact on NATO. Of course, civilian roads and ports and rails are really an integral part of NATO's plans for military mobilization. So any kind of Chinese investments in these sectors would complicate NATO's ability to respond in the event of a you know, emergency or military contingency, it would impact NATO's ability to reinforce and re resupply Europe uh, in a warfighting scenario. So this is really an area of concern. But of course, every national government has the right to decide how they want to operate and retain their strategic industries. I mean, free markets need to continue to operate, but allies need to make sure that the critical infrastructures that are so relevant to their nation's security remain protected. And I think the concern right now is that if the economic downturn from the COVID-19 pandemic is quite bad, then 
perhaps less developed allies could increasingly turn to China for an infusion of cash. Natka, go further. Perhaps on the aspect of the independence, as you mentioned, mm. um, well, NATO allies, they always decide by the consensus, which makes the alliance quite special, but also proceed in the areas that all the allies agreed on to the extent they agree on. So the independence is there, as Gabi mentioned, the governments decide over the strategic sectors, regardless of the, the security implications, but they also understand the importance of coordinating their actions in order to defend the alliance against potential risks that could arise from this. And the idea is only to make sure that they do not spend too much resources in one or the other areas and can divide it and prioritize it as necessary. But we have seen that the alliance has been quite adaptable. We can see it, for example, when they developed or opened a new division, Emerging Security Division in 2010, the same year as when uh, they came up with the new strategic concept and identified the key priorities for the alliance, collective defense, cooperative security, and crisis management, which should apply and be assessed and also further strengthened over the period of time and especially learn from this crisis as uh, the current crisis we are all globally facing at the moment, but also any other crisis that touches upon the strategic interests of all the member states. That's a really good point. And I would also add that a lot of these sectors that we're talking about are not primarily you know, military sectors. They are dual use civilian sectors like national telecommunications networks and rails and ports. So it's really not going to be possible for NATO to tackle these issues on their own. They're going to need to collaborate with other civilian institutions. Among their recommendations, Gabriel and Natka point the need for NATO to enchant the political partnership. Here's Natka. I think as Gabi already pointed out a little bit in the last question, NATO cannot be addressing the rise of China's influence alone. And there are already quite, I would say, long-term partners that NATO has been cooperating with and coordinating the efforts in order to complement the efforts. For example, I would look coming from Brussels, being in Brussels and working also with EU institutions, I think NATO has a very good opportunity to enhance uh, the partnership with EU also in consideration of addressing China's rise of influence, especially because a lot of the challenges that China is posing at this point are not military challenges per se, are not imminent military challenges which uh, fall under the security and defense sector, usually within the alliance competencies. And because most of these core issues are beyond the NATO competencies, where EU as a civilian power has more competence and I would say resources and expertise in these areas, the cooperation on issues of, for example, investments into the strategic sectors, like investment screening mechanisms, especially into the areas, as Gabi mentioned, in the sectors or transportational uh, rails or roads, ports, which can have dual use of civil and military mobility issues. They, those are very good areas where NATO and EU could enhance their partnership and be also stronger and better prepared when addressing our rising challenges in these non-military domains. Gabriel look at countries that are filled. In addition to cooperation with the EU, which is a very important thing that NATO should be doing, we think that there's also an opportunity for NATO to step up its existing partnerships with Indo-Pacific countries like Japan and Australia. Japan has been present in some of the alliance's major operations, including in Afghanistan, And both of these countries 
also face the challenge of balancing economic interdependencies with China, with political and security divergences. So we, in our paper, recommended that NATO step up these partnerships, particularly in exercises or in the partnership interoperability platform and potentially other capacity building programs. And we argue that this approach could potentially pave the way for closer planning, information sharing exercises, and it could also be complemented by a more regular and consultative approach at the political level. China raising influence, it seems, as a challenge for NATO. But in which specific area or region is China perceived as a threat? I think it's clear that there are different there are perceptions of China within the alliance, just given the diversity that exists within NATO. Even Europe and the U.S. don't agree on what their stance should be towards China and how to define that competition. And I think that many European allies are concerned with the, you know, kind of with us or against us rhetoric on China that the Trump administration has pushed in publicly and with allies behind closed doors. Germany seems to be poised to follow Britain's lead in letting Huawei build 5G networks. So I really think it's clear that the U.S. and Europe are not on the same page totally with regards to China, though there are some areas where they definitely do agree, as, as we've talked about in the paper. They don't like China's development under Xi Jinping. They wish it would open up more. They don't agree with China's exporting surveillance state equipment to countries outside of Europe. The detentions of Muslims in Xinjiang is a big point of contention, as well as China's tactics in Hong Kong. So I think that there's definitely daylight between the U.S. and Europe with regards to China. But also in our paper, we tried to highlight some areas where they could work together and NATO could work together in developing a more comprehensive and cohesive strategy towards China. I completely agree about the somehow diverse attitudes toward China in certain areas. So the need to synchronize their regional priorities, but also the approach will only benefit the allies if they want to be stronger together, as their logo says in their communications. But I would also think that it would be important to address the cyberspace better together in general as one of the more advanced 21st century challenges that are already there and have been there for some time and will be only increasing with digitalization of our society. China has proven to be more active and assertive in the information and the cyberspace, either with several independent bodies that uh, have been not necessarily linked to the government or the Chinese Communist Party. We see some attacks coming from, from that region, but also because China's official accounts and individuals and ambassadors have been more active in framing the conversation about, let's say now we see about COVID-19. Also, what is uh, one of the challenges that China poses is expert of their, let's say, suppression of information space, where either they proliferate and uh, amplify confusing and dividing narratives, but also at the same time domestically prevent that information travel internationally. Before, it was more of a public diplomacy and propaganda efforts and projecting positive image to the rest of the world. But now, with this crisis, we have also seen uh, more of this assertive approach of disinformation. And I think NATO allies who are 
protecting and defending also their democratic values of free speech and free media, they should make sure that the information space and the cyberspace is also properly protected. To conclude this fascinating conversation, as both if there was one point they will have liked to tackle in the paper, but just ran out of space or time. We were finishing up this paper just as the COVID-19 pandemic was accelerating quite quickly and didn't really have time to, I think, address it in a way that reflects how important it is and it reflect the dynamics that are currently underway between China and Europe. So, I mean, just over the past couple weeks and months since we've finished our paper, there's been a real debate in Europe about how China should be seen and whether or not, you know, China's mass diplomacy means that its influence in Europe is going to be strengthened in the long term. So I think kind of exploring some of these issues would have fit well with where we were taking our paper, but we just didn't have time. The crisis, uh, the pandemic uh, of uh, COVID-19 that we are facing, actually the EAS High Representative, Joseph Borrell, he identified during his last session with the members of the European Parliament, the health sector, the health being as part of the security and defense sector. So this is only, I think, going to grow as the pandemic grows and as the consequences and the impact of the pandemic will have on our life and on our society and economic sector and political sector. So let's see how that goes and what are the new emerging challenges now in the uh, 2020 and beyond. And if this would actually really fall under the security and defense sector, as some uh, high-level representatives are hinting. But also what we could see, I would say, a little bit more would be exactly developing these ideas of information space and uh, what's the role for NATO to play in defending the information space or being better interoperable between the allies and understand and share the information and the cyber threats. Gabriel, policy analysis at RAND. I think that is a really important point, and I will just also say I wish we would have been able to perhaps explore ways in which data could contribute further to the fight against COVID-19. So currently we see NATO, you know, kind of doing what it does best in providing transport. So facilitating the airlift of medical supplies, fast tracking kind of paths through Europe's airspace for military flights. And this is all really important. But I wonder if there is like another way for NATO to play a role beyond just a kind of logistics and planning component. So we didn't really get a chance to explore that in our paper. But I think that's going to be, as Nada said, as pandemics become more of a question in the defense and security space, I think that people will increasingly look towards NATO to figure out what its contribution will be in this space. This idea we discussed as Europe was under Thai lockdown and led to some interesting question on NATO's role in our society. The next episode will feature Colani and Caroline as we discuss the paper on artificial intelligence. Thanks for listening to this episode, which was co-produced with Free Range Productions. We hope you liked it. Let us know what you thought on Twitter at WISEWIIS Brussels or by commenting directly via your podcast platform.